on this edition of the program. We talk about the chaos of Congress and Kevin McCarthy stopping being polite and starting getting real, as well as a wild story from one of our favorite voices on this program, Stephen Gutowski of The Reload. It involves that manhunt for the murderer that happened in Pennsylvania over the last few weeks. Yeah, he was at the center of it. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for September 20th, 2023. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young. And if I sound a little bit different, it is because I am not in the friendly confines of my little recording box. No, I am displaced. I am a refugee because they're destroying my kitchen right now. So it might be rebuilt better, stronger than before. But what's going on? betwixt my kitchen sink and cabinet is nothing compared to what is happening in Washington, D.C. right now. From the very beginning of this year, from January, when we were doing daily podcasts as the Speaker of the House fight continued to escalate and wind hither and yon, We've compared Kevin McCarthy to Breaking Bad or The Americans, one of those suspense shows where the main character is always, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, and that only gets him in a bigger, stickier situation. And so initially it was pleasing the hardliners in the Freedom Caucus so they would make him speaker. And then they had to pass the the debt ceiling, and so that required more bargaining. Well, if that's the case, and indeed Kevin McCarthy is our Walter White, then it appears that he is at his Heisenberg moment. That moment where, in Breaking Bad, if you have not seen it, our sniveling science teacher who became a drug dealer has wormed his way throughout the underworld for long enough that he is about to put his foot down to say, no, 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 no. I am in charge here. Now the question both in that show and in real life is exactly, is he? Let's run down what is happening right now, because it is a confluence of events. We have an imminent government shutdown, which is 10 days left until government funding expires. Republican leaders have proposed a one-month stopgap measure to avert the crisis, planning to cut government spending by 8.125% across various sectors, sparing defense, veterans, and disaster relief budgets. Now, this proposal 
revealed on Sunday night also incorporates elements from the Secure the Border Act passed earlier in May, intending to enhance border security and enforce new restrictions on asylum seekers. Initially, the collaboration between the Conservative House Freedom Caucus and the moderate Republican Main Street Partnership suggested a united front within the party. But exactly how united can the Republicans in the House be in the year of our Lord 2023? The unity swiftly crumbled as double the number of Republicans necessary for the passage voiced their opposition on Twitter before the deal was even finalized. Some of the comments ranged from calls for better proposals to hard rejections. The internal dissent highlights the crumbling position of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who has recently faced prolonged voting rounds before securing his role and now confronts his increasing resistance from party members. By the way, Kevin McCarthy also already cashed in one of his bargaining chips, which was to begin an impeachment that some of his Biden district members do not want. The fissures within the Republican Party have continued to deepen as significant opposition to the continuing resolution emerges, creating a scenario where the speaker is increasingly caught between conservative demands and the potential rejection by the Democratic-led Senate. In his weakened state, McCarthy finds himself grappling to secure a cohesive stance within his party, risking a potential ousting if he leans toward a bipartisan agreement. And on the other hand, conservative members who are opposing the resolution seem to be caught in a contradictory stance, blocking the appropriations bill they are urging to be passed and thereby creating a stalemate. The potential fallout from this could see McCarthy relying on Democratic support to, re to retain his position, a move that would signify a considerable shift in the House dynamics. Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries remains noncommittal on supporting McCarthy, leaving the latter in a precarious position as he vies to prevent a government shutdown, stating his readiness to face the daily challenges that lie ahead in finding a solution. You have people. Matt Gates, Matt Gates's people. Who are actively calling for Kevin McCarthy to be replaced. And they say that if this went on a party line vote like Kevin McCarthy needed to become speaker. That Kevin McCarthy would be ousted. This motion would vacate. But here's the problem. Number one, who wants this job? Matt Gates has mentioned himself. Shocker. But if you look at this position that Kevin McCarthy is in, who on earth wants to trade places? And if they do trade places, is anybody going to be as middle of the road as McCarthy? Or are you going to get more of a hardliner? That has led to speculation that the Democrats would pick the devil they know versus the devil they don't. If put into a position where it's Kevin McCarthy or Matt Gates, they're going to put their hands to their cheeks like Home Alone and yell Kevin. Which brings us to where we are right now. 
Here and no further, it appears, for McCarthy. He is taking a bolder stance against the conservatives who have threatened his position as speaker, anticipating a shutdown in the coming days and, oh yeah, trying to impeach the president. With this potential shutdown nearing, he is daring conservatives opposing the GOP stopgap bill to vote against it, a plan that has significant GOP support for incorporating steps to reduce spending and bolster border security. McCarthy and his team's intend to hold dissenting members accountable, a deviation from his previous appeasement approach toward his right-wing critics. Recently, he has personally confronted some of them, even challenging them to remove him from speakerships during heated private house meetings. His direct confrontations have extended to public platforms and involved mocking persistent critics, critics such as Matt Gates and Victoria Sparts. While this shift in strategy could endanger his political career, many in the caucus have been urging McCarthy to adopt a further stance against conservatives for several months. McCarthy is rallying Republicans to unite on fiscal matters to avoid being overshadowed by the Senate. Notably, he's garnered support from prominent hardliners like Chip Roy, who's my congressman, as it turns out. Additionally, the ongoing disputes among conservatives may play to McCarthy's advantage, allowing him to portray his critics as unreasonable and affirming his conservative credentials. And here's what that means. The Freedom Caucus is starting to bicker with themselves. Byron Donalds, Matt Gates, two people who might run for governor, more on that in a second, they are now fighting with each other. And you've got some members of the House saying that the Freedom Caucus would not vote for the Bible because they'd argue there's not enough Jesus in it. As for McCarthy, amidst the chaos, there is only order if he pushes for it. And so he stands in the desert asking each and every one of the dissatisfied to say his name hoping what comes back is Speaker McCarthy and he can say, damn right. Oh yeah, also we have to pass a gigantic thing so we don't shut down the government and we have to try to impeach President Biden and we have to do it in a way that doesn't totally embarrass everybody. So damn right and then all that. Definitely all that too though. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you can support this program. It's where you can get two bonus episodes each and every week, one on Sunday, one on Thursday. And this, uh, uh, well, it's Monday really is when you get it, but it's about the Sunday shows. And we did a big breakdown on Donald Trump's first national uh, network uh, interview since 2020. It was on Meet the Press, Catherine Wilker's first show in the role of host with uh, Chuck Todd stepping down. Apparently, Donald Trump, now free of the sleepy eyes, he is uh, down to be on Meet the Press. Interesting stuff there, including some real newsmaking quotes about 
Trump's abortion stance. Will that matter in the evangelical heavy Iowa? Because it appears that Donald Trump's is trying to take abortion off the table for the general election. Pretty interesting. But that's not the update here. There is growing speculation that Representative Matt Gates is running for Florida governor in 2026, a topic that has been the focal point of discussion in Tallahassee recently. Gates, who was seen strongly implying his gubernatorial bid at a recent event hosted by incoming Florida House Speaker Danny Perez, has not denied the claims. He has stressed that his current political priority is to get Donald Trump elected in 24. Of course, Gates was a key advisor during Ron DeSantis' 2018 gubernatorial campaign, although that relationship has cooled. Gates has reportedly navigated the possibility of a gubernatorial bid while still being a central figure in those congressional battles we just mentioned. His advocacy for specific spending cuts has caused friction with Kevin McCarthy. And in the backdrop of those developments, John Morgan, a noted attorney and Democratic political donor, says he anticipates Gates's entry into the gubernatorial race, underscoring that an endorsement could tr- from Trump could significantly bolster Gates's position. Although, as we've seen with DeSantis, understand that it comes with a condition of forever loyalty. Of course, Having a Trump-blessed candidate in the increasingly reddening Florida would be something that is a major issue. And you'd have to also think that that might be the best case scenario for the Florida Democrats as well. What you would not want is just a Florida politician. Like Byron Donald would be somebody that you wouldn't want to run against if you're the Democrats. Because as we've talked about, the Democrats in Florida essentially run an on-again, off-again national operation that almost always coincides with presidential campaigns. And so since the gubernatorial elections fall outside of that, you don't get a lot of support. You don't get a lot of fundraising. However, if Matt Gates is running... Then you have a nationally known Republican figure and somebody that might spur national organization and money to flow into Florida. So that would be some other way that the Florida Democrats could totally fall down flat on their face. Former President Donald Trump plans to speak in Detroit to members of the Auto Workers Union on September 27th, coinciding with the second Republican primary debate. This move comes as strikes have commenced at plants operated by the big three car manufacturers in states, including Michigan. Despite, of course, being the current frontrunner of the GOP race, Trump has decided to bypass the debate. Of course, he missed the first one, and he was always going to miss this one because it takes place at the Reagan Library, and Donald Trump hates the guy who runs the Reagan Library. It's just that simple. The location for Trump's speech expected to gather 500 union workers hasn't been disclosed yet. Although Trump has not officially commented on the strikes, he criticized the shift toward electric cars, not only on Truth Social, but also on Meet the Press. Donald Trump, if he is to be elected, it will be because white, working class, voters without a college degree help him win in Michigan and Wisconsin. 
And if he's very, very, very overperforming, Minnesota. He already has Ohio that has become increasingly red. And that is the demographic that he speaks the best to there. But this is smart. It's honestly really smart. And here's why. UAW President Sean Fain criticizes Trump because Sean Fain endorses Joe Biden. Fain accuses Trump of having an understanding of the struggles of the working class and prioritizing the wealthy class. That's the exact, the exact kind of person that Donald Trump wants to argue with. He wants to argue with people that believe he doesn't speak to white working class voters as well as he does. Because there is a total disconnect between white working class voters in general by the numbers and democratic policies. They have trended toward Trump and Trump is an institution. We are rapidly approaching a decade of Donald Trump being a political part of their lives. He's been there. He has said the same thing. He ran in 2016 saying that Obama and the Democrats, who, by the way, the UAW endorsed as well, were giving their jobs away. And that's what he's saying here is that the more and more that electric cars are manufactured, the more and more of these jobs and these plants are going to be shut down. A House Oversight Committee is is set to hold its inaugural hearing into the impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden on September 28th with plans to subpoena Hunter Biden's bank records in the coming week. A spokesperson said that the hearing aims to delve into the constitutional and legal aspects of alleged corruption and misuse of the public office of the president. In a recent statement, committee chair James Comer criticized the press and mentioned that this hearing would not likely unveil new evidence, but would serve as a refresher of existing evidence regarding the president's involvement in corruption during his tenure as vice president. The focal point of the GOP's allegations pertains to Biden's initiative to dismiss a a reputedly corrupt Ukrainian prosecutor, a move seen as a prerequisite to receiving U.S. aid. The Republicans assert that Biden had received a $5 million bribe for facilitating the removal of prosecutor Victor Shokin, who was investigating Burisma, a company where Hunter Biden held a board position. This claim, though sourced from a credible individual, remains unverified and uncorroborated by the FBI. President Biden's actions were concurrent with demands of other global leaders, with State Department correspondence indicating that Shokin's dismissal was advocated due to his failure to tackle corruption in Ukraine. Comer emphasized the importance of accessing Hunter Biden's financial records to further that investigation, stating a willingness to escalate the matter to court if necessary. Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's business partner that got him on the board of Burisma, has said when it came to Shokin that Shokin definitely was a problem, that Burisma was definitely worried about it. And while he does not know specifically if money changed hands for that specific ask, although he did say that that's not how this kind of business is done. 
he does say that it was Hunter Biden on the board that allowed Burisma to continue to live. For whatever that means. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden is taking a more aggressive stance to his own defense. He has filed a lawsuit against the Internal Revenue Service accusing two agents who testified before Congress of sharing his personal data in an attempt to humiliate him amidst rising legal and political tensions in the lead up to the 2024 elections. The agents are alleged to have shared confidential tax details during press interviews and congressional testimonies, which Biden's attorneys claim do not fall under whistleblower protections. The agent's lawyer argues that any shared data was authorized under whistleblower provisions, labeling the lawsuit as an unfounded attack. You have heard rumblings through the press that there was a contingent of Hunter Biden's team that wanted to go aggressive earlier than this. And now it appears that they are. But aggressive means suing whistleblowers. Hmm. Old strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it plays out for him. And that'll wrap it up for our update. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you get updates like this on Monday morning. On Thursday, double, double, double your PX3 output for only the price of a cup of coffee each week. If you would buy me a cup of coffee so I would sit in your car or run next to you on your run and tell you when things matter, in our heated political season cuz we're in we're in the we're in the beginning the beginning of our prime political season well friends only one place to go take politics seriously.com and now back to the show politics, politics. welcome back to the show steven hey thanks for having me you had an insane blog post about your last two weeks, and this has very, very little to do with politics. So apologies to anybody, because normally we have a very substantive conversation about gun stuff. But just tell me what happened over the last two weeks. Yeah, well, there's there's at least a little bit of politics, I think, probably at play in, in some of this story. Uh, but essentially... Uh, as, as I'm sure many people have been following, there was a convicted killer who escaped from a Pennsylvania prison uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I'm from Pennsylvania, for anyone who doesn't know. And I happen to be from the county that this prison was in. Uh, now, at first, that didn't seem like such a problem because where the prison is and where my mom's farm in Chester County, Pennsylvania is, aren't really that close. There's about an hour drive maybe mm-hmm. uh, between them. I did have some friends, uh, close family friends who were closer to where that prison is. And, uh, you know, I was concerned for them, but I also figured this guy would get caught. He wouldn't probably go too close to the more populated areas where they live. And uh, so, you know, just a couple of weeks go by and, uh, you know, not not feeling great about it. But also not super worried. You know, he was hanging out yeah. with gardens and stuff like that. But it turned out that. Uh, uh, how, how, how far do you live in general from that? Uh, you, you, you said your parents are up there. Yeah. But how, how far are you normally out? Uh, well, I live down in Virginia now, 
near DC, just okay. outside of DC. So I'm about three hours from that area. Uh, so not that far, you know, within driving distance. I go up there pretty often. And this is where you grew up. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in in Downingtown, Pennsylvania, which is right next to Westchester, which is where the prison is. Um, yeah. And and so you know, it's it was right right by home, for sure. Uh, but I wasn't, you know, again, like I grew up in Downingtown, but my mom moved to. Uh, town called Elverson. It's way up north in Chester County. And um, so I wasn't super concerned that this guy was going to have an impact on my life at all. Uh, And my other side of the family, my dad's side lives in uh, Delco, the next county over. So same deal there. It's like, okay, this isn't great, but I'm sure they'll catch him before anything too bad happens. Uh, It turns out that I was not correct in that assumption. He stole a van somehow and managed to, and even then, even after he stole a van, it's like, okay, well, he's trying to escape. He's trying to get away. I, who knows what he's, where he's trying to go, but presumably mm-hmm. he's not trying to go to uh, a town where it's literally just horse farms and woods and there's no particular, it's, and it's not even that remote so that you could just hide there for months or whatever. It's not like the, the mountains, right? Uh, it's close enough to civilization where it's, you know, there's people around, but at the same time, there's nothing really there for, for him. Yeah, there wouldn't be any reason for him to, to go there is the assumption. But, uh, you know, what they say about assuming. And so yes. he ended up he ended up there uh, right by the farm. Um, and what's worse is that he apparently managed to steal a gun from one of the houses nearby the farm. And so... By last Tuesday, he was both within walking distance of the farm and armed with a rifle. And and just just for folks who did not follow this story, this is a bad dude who crab walked out of this prison and it was national news. But but can you fill people in on on the backstory of this guy? Because he's he's a pretty vile human. Yeah, this this guy named uh, Danilo Cavalcante, he was a Brazilian guy who uh, apparently murdered somebody in Brazil before coming here. And then he was dating a woman and she found out about that previous murder. And so he murdered her, too, in front of her kids by stabbing her dozens of times. So, yeah, he's a pretty awful person. Uh, and yeah, and clearly dangerous as well. So once he ended up right by the farm with a gun, uh, you know, the police had closed all the roads there, the roads that I would normally use to get to the farm from from mm-hmm. my place in Virginia were all closed. Uh, and that's when it really was like, oh, this is a big problem because they haven't caught him. It's yeah. been, I think it was 12 days. And so, you know, I was talking with my mom and I, at first I was like, wow, you should get a gun like my because not only my mom and stepdad live on the farm. You know, it's a couple acre farm. It's not huge. They have three horses uh, and chickens and stuff like that. It's not a working farm or anything. But uh, my grandparents also live there uh, across the street in a, in a little rancher. Right. Uh, and there, you know, my grandmother's in her in her age. She just had a birthday, actually. So happy birthday, grandma. If you're happy birthday. This to this podcast, but uh, yeah. my grandfather is 90 years old. Now he, he was a cop for his career. 
uh, and then became a painter. Uh, if anyone ever sees me, uh, watches the Weekly Reload podcast, you can see the some of his paintings in the background of, of my shot. But um, yeah, I mean, so he has a his old service revolver, right, from when he retired, and that gives you some indication, obviously, <laughs> that he's ninety. Bit and, dated, bit dated. Yeah, um, and my mom, they don't, but they don't really have. They're not gun people, right? They don't have guns really outside of that one revolver. And so it was a bit concerning that he had a rifle too. That was the other big part of it uh, because it was a 22 rifle. So not very powerful, but rifle is made for distance shooting. And so he can reach out and touch somebody from far away. And that was the real concern to me. Uh, you know, the bigger, biggest concern, obviously the whole thing was very concerning. And so you yeah. know, I thought, Oh, you should get a gun. And then my second thought was, well, that doesn't, you know, even if you got a gun, you'd need to, at least do some training with it to be useful um, at all. If you did run into this guy somehow. And um, so instead I was like, well, I should come up and she agreed my mom. Um, and and so I did. And I, I was up there. I brought my AR 15 because again, this guy had a, a rifle, um, which yeah. means that, you know, while I also brought handguns and a shotgun uh, in case he tried to get into a house, uh, one of the houses, uh, you know, the, there was a very realistic possibility that he could show up coming out of the woods on into the pastures and, and be, uh, you know, a couple hundred or, you know, a hundred or 200 yards away and try to shoot at us. So I needed a gun that could match that. And in fact, uh, have more stopping power than his, which an AR 15 was my best option in that situation. And that's where you know, a little bit of politics plays into this, I guess, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> but well, you know, hold up before, before we get any further, people know you on this show because you run a fantastic blog and they have seen you on television, but you're also a firearms instructor, right? Yes. <clears throat> I'm a uh, NRA certified firearms instructor. I'm certified to teach the basic pistol course. And I've done that for years uh, in private classes, mainly for other journalists but uh yeah so I, i've also had other firearms training as well i did these really tactical schools uh, active shooter training i've done um a number of, of other defensive shooting courses uh, over the years and so you know i have a decent amount of training i have a concealed carry license in virginia and one in pennsylvania because pennsylvania stopped recognizing virginia's uh, while back <laughs> very annoyingly so i have to actually go get an, a second permit up there uh, but yeah, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm an experienced shooter and, um, I have a number of firearms. I built the AR 15 that I brought up there, uh, from parts. So, you know, uh, you'd certainly have experience with, with guns beyond just writing about them, uh, and reporting on them. So, so when you say that you want to put a firearm in the hands of your grandparents, but you want to make sure that they know what they're doing, this is not like you're going on YouTube and saying basic gun right. safety. You you know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, my, my grandfather was a cop, so he has an understanding of firearms. And then my stepdad was in the military as well. So they had some, uh, obviously, level of understanding. And I've shot with my mom before. So they all had an understanding of firearms, but they're, you know, it'd been a long time since any of them have really been shooting is the other part of it. Like, yeah, you know, even if my stepfather has some military training and that was a long time ago, you know, he's, he works in tech now and, and has for a long time and he's not, he's not like a super 
uh, interested in guns kind of guy, but he obviously is a uh, could defend himself if, with a shotgun if the guy tried to get into the house. That was sort of my thought of bringing some of these other guns with me. But you know, that was the I was there to try and provide some peace of mind. And uh, you know, I'm younger than than the rest of my family uh, on the farm. What, so what was their mood? They were they were scared, right? I mean, it was terrifying. Yeah. They, you know, and while the police said that they believed he was inside of this uh, area that they had cordoned off where these, they closed these roads. And we had good friends who live inside of that search area. Um, and the farm was technically outside of that. At night, the police would send up helicopters and planes to overfly the farm. Uh, and the woods behind yeah. the farm. There's these game lands behind our farm that are a bunch of woods. You know, people hunt back there, but the, that's not where the search area was. And yet the police were flying over that all night, the uh, Monday night, and then again Tuesday night when I was there, which you know implies implied to us that he might not be inside yeah. of that search area, that there was a chance, and that they were clearly searching for him right by our farm and flying over top of us um, while they were doing it. So, you know, they ended up being right, thankfully, and they did catch him inside of that search area, but there was no way to know that at the time, of course. So everybody was scared. My mom didn't, my mom and stepdad didn't sleep on Monday night because of the, the, the whole ordeal and the helicopters going overhead. And I barely slept at all on Tuesday for the same reasons like that. But so that, that was the, the, the goal was to try and provide, provide them with some sense of security and they were able to sleep uh, the night that I was there. So I was, I was happy for that. Because this is a cornered murderer, you know, and, and, and in a very, very small town with a gun like that is, if you were to just give us a sense of the size of that area, people wise, like what are we talking about? A couple dozen, couple hundred uh, you know, it's probably, yeah, hundreds, maybe low thousands, uh, depending on, mm-hmm. I mean, the area that they were searching, probably more like dozens, I would say, you know, a couple of farms and houses there. Um, you know, the Elverson is kind of a misnomer. That's the mailing address, right, for the farm, but the town is a little bit further away and is very small itself. But, um, you know, you're, you're talking about country. It's rural, but like I said, yeah. it's not, it's not the mountains, right? It, this is the other thing of like, it doesn't make sense that he would necessarily go there to hide. I mean, there is, there's a state park, French Creek nearby where you could hide in there probably. But, uh, you know, if you were, if you're trying to just escape away from everyone, it's not really that it's definitely rural, but it's, it's not super far away from civilization. Um, and so, you know, eventually someone's going to find you if you're trying to hide in there, but at the same time, there's no there aren't a lot of people that live there either. How was the communication from the police? Uh, not great, honestly. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, like I said, they, they turned out to be right. So it's hard to fault them too much. Right. And they caught him mm-hmm. without him doing any serious harm to anybody. Damage. Yeah. So it's not like you can be like, Oh, they were terrible. Like, obviously they did their jobs. They got, they got their guy. And I'm grateful for that because I don't know how long I could have kept up this whole thing of trying to overwatch the farm and my grandparents' house at night. Because this is the other thing, like 
everybody assumed that he was hiding during the day and traveling at night. So the time you needed to be most vigilant was at night and all night. Yeah. And, and have you ever been on a farm, right? Like there's a lot of stuff out there at night. Um, and if you have, oh, if you ever it's had, terrifying. Yeah. I, I, I am a city kid through and through. If you go out to a farm, you have no idea what's happening out there. No. And if you've ever had motion lights, uh, you can, you'd also know that they tend to be very sensitive and they will go off for all sorts of reasons. And so ours did all night, right? The, I want, you know, and it was terrifying, you know, it's scary because there was a real possibility you'd have to get in a shootout with, with this murderer. Uh, if I, if, you know, if I ran into, it. if one of those lights happened to be turned on because he was trying to get into my grandparents' house, for yeah. instance, there was a, there was a point at night when that happened. And, um, and I went out and cleared that, that whole area and you know it, he wasn't there thankfully right but there was no way to know that at the time and you know i'm sitting most of the night in the my my parents sunroom with my ar on my lap just looking out back into the dark of the 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 woods and yeah you know ex- expecting that maybe at some point he's gonna come walking out of there now the and the reason that while the police ended up getting this guy and I applaud them uh, immensely. And I'm super grateful because I couldn't have kept doing this uh, for, for too long. Uh, Yeah. Before they caught him, the communication wasn't great. They had a press conference on Tuesday where the, the head of the search party got very defensive about uh, being questioned as to what went wrong and why he's still out there, you know, claiming that like mm-hmm. they've they, done such a great job because they were able to pinpoint him a couple of times. But this was you know, 11, 12 days into the search. And obviously they hadn't done that great of a job because he was still out there and he'd gotten the yeah. gun. It's kind of the worst case scenario you could think of at that point in time. And they were saying because you would imagine he's, he's going to come in contact with other humans either for food or for transportation or, or yep. something, the longer he's out there, the more likely it is that he's going to run into somebody. Right. And he'd broken into a couple of places, right? He broke into the place where he stole the the van. It was like a dairy, I guess, down near Westchester. And uh, he broke into, he stole shoes from one house. He uh, stole an Eagle sweatshirt at one point, apparently that's, that's what he was called in. Uh, that was like, five sizes too big for him. And he stole that gun right out of someone's garage while we there, they were in there. Uh, the, and the, wow. the homeowner shot at him with his handgun, but apparently missed. Um, and so, you know, this guy was taking risks. He was, in, he was uh, you know, at least calculated risks. He was going, watching, apparently he was surveilling like places he was going to break into. And then he would go whatever opportune time and, and do, uh, you know, grab whatever he needed and leave. And so, you know, it was pretty likely he was going to continue to do that if if they hadn't caught him. So, yeah, I mean, the, I wasn't super happy with the police and the, that press conference on Tuesday morning because, you know, he not only had they not caught him, but he had broken into people's homes or stolen stuff from people and he'd gotten a gun. So it's, it's hard to listen to the head of the search party praise their efforts while this guy is right near the farm still out there you know with a gun like that's the worst case scenario i can't imagine it's that yeah there's there's the only thing worse is if you'd actually been able to harm somebody with that gun luckily after that point they did a great job right because they did find him 
and they did pinpoint him and they did catch him thanks to they had a dog actually snuck up on him apparently and and bit him on the head and that prevented him from shooting at any of the cops who later uh wow. who showed up to good dog to, yeah great dog like that dog a lot um <laughs> but yeah at the in the moment that's and like i said you know they claimed he was inside of this this area but their actions weren't backing that up right because they're why are they searching my farm if he's not he's yeah. supposed to be here so you couldn't take that uh on, on as gospel truth at the time it turned out to be correct but yes there's no way you could assume that it was Well, I mean, this is a, a crazy, crazy story. Number one, uh, uh, I'm sure your grandparents and parents were very, very happy that they had you to come up there and and just keep eyes on things throughout the evening. Uh, but wow, what a what a what a tale, dude! That is harrowing. I can't even imagine like those those late nights looking out into the pitch black darkness. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't great. Um, you know, the story is. If you're watching a movie and it would end the way that my real life story ended, you'd think it's anticlimactic because he doesn't show up at the farm. There's no competition. Sure. Um, and but in real life, that's the best kind of it. <laughs> you know, yes. Like, yeah. All this stress <laughs> of waiting for him to show up and trying to, you know, it's very difficult, basically impossible for one person to keep a an eye out on two houses and a, uh, a several acres worth of land. Uh and so it's just, you know, you're, you're never going to be able to be, see the entire area all night long, especially at, at night. And, um, and so the stress level was very high for this ordeal. And uh, we're just lucky that the police did have him cornered and did catch him. Yeah. I'm thankful for that. Like, so, like I said, you know, as much as I didn't enjoy the communication uh, throughout the, the uh, Tuesday manhunt, you know, they did their job in the end, and I'm grateful for that. Did you have a sense of how big of a story it was? Because it was something that became fascinating. He, the way that he escaped was on camera. It looks silly. That makes it viral. The fact that he was still out there makes it an ongoing thing. That kind of tension that you know from the news media is is catnip for people to keep paying attention. How much were you aware that you were in the center of something that had a lot of eyes on it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I heard about it when it first happened because it's a killer escaping from that prison. I don't think they usually I think he was just waiting there to be transferred to another facility. So yeah. you don't usually get criminals of that uh, th- that violent in in that prison. So it was pretty uh, interesting news to begin with when it broke. And I was, you know, texting friends in the area and uh, nobody was taking it super seriously because I think everyone just assumed he wouldn't get very far. And then, mm-hmm. you know, he was spotted at Longwood Gardens, which is, you know, another local, it's the, the DuPonts, if anybody, uh, you know, knows the chemical company, the the rich, the people who got rich off the chemical company, you know, the, it was the old school rich that they had these like things they would do. The yeah. Was, so Longwood Gardens is part of that. It's just this big, like estate where you can go and look at their gardens. But anyway, it's, it's very well known in, in Pennsylvania and Southeastern Pennsylvania near Philadelphia. So uh, you know, that was interesting. And then you know, I think people got kind of bored with it because it wasn't not, not much was happening. They didn't catch him. He was just kind of wandering around in the woods near Longwood Gardens was sort of the impression you got for a while. 
then when he stole that gun that's when it really blew up and that's when i knew it was like uh i mean yeah i knew it was a big news story then too because obviously a murderer escapes he gets a gun he steals a car you know all all this stuff makes it much and the police haven't caught him that makes it much more newsworthy but it also made it way more personal for me because that's he he ended up doing all that right by my family's farm well one of the news values proximity and uh it certainly spurred you into action oh certainly uh Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, this is not normally what we uh, what we talk about, and I look forward to having you back on where we can actually just talk about the Supreme Court or or some state gun law. Yes, that'd be much preferable for me. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. In the meantime, everybody go support the reload. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio here in Austin, Texas. Please do me a favor and thank Stephen Gutowski for coming on and telling that story. Uh, Just insane. Just harrowing. You know, there's a lot... That, that gets kind of surrounded, especially in the line of work that he covers. But that's just a crazy story to go up and you know, staying up all night for your parents and grandparents. Grandfather's in his 90s. 90. Oh, geez. And by the way, we didn't cover it in the um in in the in the interview, but the the murder that was in the woods, he had been casing people's houses to get supplies and shoes and a shirt and the gun and stuff like that. And he was going after people. He was a small dude that were physical advantages for him. So targeting elderly people like that was, that was within the realm of possibility. Very, very scary, but we want to thank Steven for sharing his experience with us. Letter P letter X number three guest.com. Is where you can do that. Email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. If you would like to tweet me, it is Justin R. Young. You can find me live on the Twitch. Letter P, letter X, number three, live.com. And share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. You want to support me with a one-time donation? It is paypal.me slash pay jury. Venmo money isn't real. Justin Dash Young Dash 20 is where you can prove it by sending me one thin digital dollar. Cash app is dollar sign PX3 cash. And you can send me anything you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. You can only get our bonus content at takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule and our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Ye old Pinball Shop. John, DP4 Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy Mack, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Brian, Edison, Jeremy, the dog named Checkers. 
Sarah Jeannie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil, His Nerdiness, Charles, Darren, Idris Arslanian, Berkeley, Stephen, Nomadic Terran, Molly's Delightful Demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, Bassam, D Laser, Nick, Just Another Pilot, Middle Age Mike, Utah, Jimmy Montana, The Gen, D, Really? Chopper, and Andrew. If you would like your name read on this show. Oh, and by the way, oh, Tech Sherpas. We're going to add Tech Sherpas on there. They just upped their pledge. Be like Tech Sherpas. Head on over there. Take politics seriously. .com. We'll be back at you on Friday. We're, we're, um, I'm brewing up something for you. Brewing up something. I think it's going to be a fun episode. Maybe a familiar voice. Till then. This is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.